by your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? He starts it with be humble before he gets to all the other instruction. Be humble. So you've turned away. Put yourself before God. I was struck by this this week, and I was thinking of uh, back in 2000, I was in Jerusalem and surrounding area for about three and a half weeks. And when you go to Bethlehem in Nativity Square, you can go to the Church of the Nativity. And if you've been there and you walk in the door, you literally have to bend over to get in because it's only a four-foot-high entryway. They call it the Door of Humility. And you walk, you bend over, you walk in. It's a pretty wide doorway, too. And you come in, and you're in this rather large, commanding basilica there, which I remember being a little on the dark side, needed a little more light, but it's a beautiful place. You've walked through this door, bent over. And so I was researching this week, okay, I want to remember if I remember the story of why they built this little door, because you can clearly see it was an afterthought. There was a bigger door there at some point. They put in this short door. But as I was looking for that, I found an even more interesting story on Smithsonian about the same place. So let me just read you a very short bit about it. It says, and this is all about the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. It says, feuding monks at the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem don't just cast the first stone. They stockpile rocks in anticipation of future altercations. Several holy men landed in the hospital two Christmases ago after a fight broke out over the dusting of church chandeliers. The occasional brawls at the 1,700-year-old basilica, believed to mark the birthplace of Jesus Christ, reflect the difficulty of housing three Christian denominations under a single roof. And now that roof is rotting, threatening the structural integrity of the building. Parts of the wooden truss structure date to the 15th century, and holes in the timbers allow dirty water to drip upon the precious paintings and mosaics below. The problem has been worsening for decades, but the resident clerics from the Greek Orthodox and Armenian Orthodox churches and the Franciscan Order of the Roman Catholic Church are jealous of each other's claims of custody and have been unable to agree on a plan of action. And so historians and lovers of the place are worried that here we have people who are fighting and quarreling within the church. It can happen anywhere, even the supposed place where Jesus was born, where the manger was, anywhere in the world. Now, it's interesting, not only does that apply to James, but the, the door of humility, I was fascinated, was put in there because uh, it was actually a theft prevention device. It wasn't so people would humble themselves. It was so people would stop riding horses and camels into the church to steal stuff and ride out. So they installed this door so that you had to get off and crawl in and stand up. But it's interesting to consider that posture. You get in, you crawl in, you stand up, and you're struck by the place, the magnificence of it. So too, when we bow before God, we humble ourselves before God, we have to ask the question then, what happens when you stand up? Are you in awe of God and you stay in awe of God at that point and remain humble? Or do we all of a sudden get full of ourselves again? Thinking of ourselves again. 
The instruction here is submit to God. That is submit to God's authority, submit to God's commands, submit to God's power, submit to God's promises. And the promise that James gives us is he will lift you up. We will, in fact, be drawn closer to God through that. Through submitting ourselves, we understand God, but then we're also in God's presence, or we're at least invited into that. And he says, but there's an alternative to that. He's already shown us some of the alternatives with the fighting and quarreling and the selfishness that was present. But he says further, he says, resist the devil, which is an interesting thing for us to hear. I would put it this way. Be free from unnecessary heartache. Resist the devil. In, when I took Theology 101 back in college, I remember my theology professor, wisely, she said, we're going to cover demons and the devil and that world of stuff, but we're not going to do it for very long. Because I want to warn you, she said, don't open that door if you don't have to. Don't invite that world to come to you by opening that door longer, because sometimes people get an unnecessary fascination with that world. And I would suggest to you that culturally we have an unnecessary fascination with that world as we see more TV shows and movies gearing themselves towards that. Church, don't open that door. Resist the devil. It seems like such a small thing to point out, but resist the devil because that will lead us to opposition with God. That will continue to walk us down that path and not get us closer to God. James tells us, and it's curious, he says, turn your laughter into mourning and your joy to gloom, and he's using Old Testament imagery. We might hear that and we might say, well, that seems like the opposite of what we should have. Shouldn't we have joy in the Lord? Shouldn't we be excited? Yes, but he's telling us something different. In the Old Testament, laughter is typically used as laughter at God or God laughing at people who plot against him. It's not used in a positive sense. He's using it that way. He's saying, get real about sin. Get real about its effects in your life. You've got to mourn a little bit and grieve that separation that you have from God if you're going to ever do anything about it, if you're ever going to move beyond it. He says, purify your hearts. Turn away from that. I think with... uh, political stuff that's going on right now, we're constantly reminded of the fact that apology is not a good thing in the political realm. Have you noticed this? If you want to advance your political career, don't make mistakes. Don't admit to mistakes. If you admit to mistakes, get through them fast. As fast as you can. And we can't just pick on politicians because that's a cultural problem. We're not really people who like mistakes all that much. We don't like it in the workforce. We don't want to have to apologize and show weakness in that way. We don't want to have to confess that we did something wrong. We want to call it something else that we didn't do wrong. We can justify it in some way. We don't want to repent. And forgiveness is reserved for certain occasions for those who did the worst of the worst things. We're a society that generally is lacking more and more in grace. Even in the workforce, right, when it comes to strengths and weaknesses, we don't even say weaknesses anymore, do we? We say strengths and growth areas or something like that. We don't make mistakes, so we don't have to fess up to them. We're told here, you do, and you better. Confess. Get real about sin, because it causes problems, and it causes massive problems in your life. And, and it gets worse in our culture because when, I, when James says resist the devil, we can almost pass that off in our culture. Oh, big deal. 
Because we've relegated the devil to either the corners of society that we don't exist in or to non-existence at all. Even in the church, we've done this. The devil couldn't possibly exist, or he's probably not doing anything that would bother us or his demons. James says, no, be careful. Be careful of that world because it can still get you. Frankly, if if we relegate uh, the devil and demons to the world of non-existence, we end up doing the work for them anyways. We end up doing uh, the work of, of not really advancing ministry as God's people. If we fight and quarrel, if we give in to self-interest, what is there for the devil to do? Submit to God, James says, and he tells us, and he's really pointing to your choices as much as your attitude. Self gets in the way. And when self guides, getting ahead is the goal. And he's pointing that out from the beginning. When God guides, becoming like the one who redeemed you is the goal. Those stand in opposition to one another. Becoming like Christ is the goal when God guides us, when we've handed ourselves over. So whether it's in work or school, we need to be content with who we are in Christ. Content with the character of who we're being formed into. Not the other things that can come along with advancement, with paycheck, with promotion, with popularity, those sorts of things. Some of those can be a means to an end, certainly, but those aren't who we are. Who we're being formed in Christ is what matters. When it comes to our own integrity, we need to make sure we're very careful about what we consume because we can open the door to a world that stands opposed to God and take ourselves down that path. And we are not careful as a culture, and we are especially not careful in the church anymore about what we consume, what we watch, what we listen to, and we're not better for it. James says, resist the devil. Be free from unnecessary heartache. The promise there is that you'll get right with God. As you resist the devil, you will be drawn closer. There's the unnecessary heartache, headache, discord, enmity, pride. Those things can be reduced and pushed away. And we, can, we are able to do the final instruction, which he says, just seek God. God's already on the hunt for you, so seek God out. I'm so thankful that we have a God who's a seeking God, who loves us enough to continue to pursue us, just like Hosea does with his wife, even when she's not pursuing him. And he redeems us, even when we're not even ready to say yes to it. That's the kind of God that we serve, that we glorify, that we gather together week in and week out to sing praises to. James says, seek God. If you look at, and it's probably just a page turn for a lot of you if you're following in a Bible. If you're on you version, it's down the screen. First uh, Peter 1, 18 and 19, we heard it this morning. It says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of the life handed down to you before your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. God already chose you. God already redeemed you. Way better, way bigger than Hosea did. You can see that connection, not with silver or gold, but with something more valuable because you were more valuable. God has redeemed us, and yet... Yet with that promise, it's easy to resist God's advances. It's easy to resist the God who is seeking us out. The way to actually draw closer and to make sure that we're on the right path after we've said yes to Jesus is really, it's the old standbys. 
Read scripture, pray, worship, gather together. Those are it. They work. They've been working generation upon generation, century upon century, millennia upon millennia. They're pointed out in scripture numerous times. They work, yet we resist God's advances. I'll give you a personal example of how these work out. I know personally in my own life, I've seen, you know, over the last bunch of years, I've really tried to increase my own devotional life and make sure that that's there. My prayer life, it continues to change and morph, and I continue to learn more and more what it means to actually pray and to praise God. Um, but, but I know that uh, in our own life, in my married life, things have increased and, and gotten better over the last few years. And Stephanie and I were talking about this recently, and she said, yeah, it's okay to share this. So... About seven years ago, our middle child was born, and she was born with a muscle disorder, and it it was hard. And it caused some spiritual difficulties in our own lives. Why is this the case? What's going on, God? And and it caused a lot of difficulty. And I know that there was some spiritual dryness and some spiritual distance from God that came with that. Especially Stephanie, it was very pronounced for her. But I've got to tell you that drawing close to God through God's revelation through scripture has made a massive difference. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's pretty simple. She's committed herself through Bible study fellowship. Many of you are a part of that, BSF. And over the last three years especially, I've watched as, as major changes have happened in her prayer life, in her walk with God, simply by drawing close and studying scripture. And then from that, other things followed. Prayer became more real, became more better. Contentment was a different thing and it was defined in a different way and has been more and more to understand where our fulfillment in this life comes from and where our contentment comes from. She has a better sense of self. And frankly, we never had a bad marriage, but we have a better one now. All because of drawing close to scripture. And from that, now even two weeks ago, I said this week is getting hard. Pray for me. Without a thought, that's a normal inclination for us where it wasn't before. All from the old standbys of just drawing close. James says, draw close. You're not going to be disappointed if that's the case. Now, I have to give a, a final warning here of what James is saying. Because we can have a lot of success when we draw close. We can have a lot of success when we're uh, committed in prayer, even when we're committed as God's people together. There's no fighting. There's no quarreling. Thank God there's not right now, people. We get along pretty well. We have some good unity, church. But when we start getting more mission-focused and ministry-focused, which we are, one thing can, can cause a final problem. We can have pride before we ever come to know Jesus Christ. And that can cause a problem. But afterwards, we can say, man, God, you were doing some great things in the community we belong to, in these people that you've gathered together. And we can give credit to God and give credit to God. But over time, we might start to think we get the credit. God, you're doing some great things. Look at what a good work you're doing in me. I'm doing so well. See how it transitions so simply to being a prideful thing if you're not careful. And I can succumb just like anybody else. In fact, I'll give you one more story and then we'll close this down. At family camp just a couple weeks ago, uh, we had Wynn Howen, who's a covenant pastor out of Longmont, Colorado, speak. She said as she was preparing, she said, I had a word from God about First Covenant. And she said, there's going to be a movement of the Spirit. 
That doesn't mean the Spirit's not already moving. She said, there's going to be a movement of the Spirit. I asked her for more detail. She said, I don't know more detail. There's going to be a movement of the Spirit. I don't know when. And my immediate pastor brain goes to, how can I make that happen? You hear the pride in there? How can I make that happen? I can't. It's a work of the Spirit. So church, I invite you in humility. Pray with me that there is a movement of the Spirit as we've been promised. That we are touched and that new people that we don't even know are touched and are brought into the fold. Come to know Jesus Christ, that we are changed through that movement. Pray with me, church, in all humility. Pride aside, all pride goes to God for the work that's done. To draw close to God, as we're instructed in James, it's frankly not rocket science. When guilt gets in the way, when self gets in the way, it's easy to continue to separate ourselves from God and not draw close. James says, fight against it. Submit to God, that's the first action. The last action, it's a separate action. He says, now draw near. Don't let guilt hold you back. Don't let anything else hold you back. Don't let the feeling that you can't that you're trying to read or pray or whatever it is, just keep doing it and drawing close. It won't come back void. Let's pray together. God, rid us of pride. Increase our humility. It seems weird to even say it, but we know that you can do it, and we know that then we won't take credit for it. And God, we know that there's a work of the Spirit, of your Spirit on the horizon, God, give us patience. Empower us to see it through. But to give you all credit and glory. And God, if there are people in this room who need that work in their lives right now, the work of your spirit. God, would you send your spirit right now to work on those lives? And if you feel that, submit yourself now. God, may we be free from pretense. May we be free from all the things James outlines of bitterness and quarreling. May you continue to root out of us the selfishness that we ourselves have caused through our own sin. And implant in us godly wisdom that seeks your peace, that seeks purity that shows mercy because we've been shown mercy, that bears good fruit. God, may we be people who love you more and more and show it and witness to your good news in word and in action. God, we lift ourselves up to you today as your people. Amen.